You have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, but how can we come together in a way that is mutually beneficial to talk about those perspectives so that we can uplift one another and have a more diverse approach to problem solving? Welcome to Off the Record, a podcast featuring leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, which publishes the Indiana 250, a list of the most influential business people in the state. Today, I'm joined by Kara Herring, the state of Indiana's Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer. Kara was appointed by Governor Eric Holcomb in late 2020 and is Indiana's first cabinet-level official dedicated to equity and inclusion. Kara has pioneered that role for Governor Holcomb, but she had some experience with equity and inclusion before agreeing to join the governor's cabinet. Kara spent nearly a decade working for the University of Notre Dame in her hometown of South Bend, where she was director of Notre Dame's Office of Institutional Equity and University Title IX Coordinator before becoming Notre Dame's Director of Public Affairs. Kara attended Purdue University, where she received a Bachelor of Arts degree in Communications and Public Relations, and she received her law degree from Valparaiso University School of Law. Kara serves on the Indiana Supreme Court's Commission on Equity and Access with Indiana Courts, and is a member of the Center for Digital Government's Equity Advisory Committee. And Kara has been not once, but twice a member of our Indiana 250 Most Influential Hoosiers, as well as an IBJ 40 Under 40 honoree. Here's our conversation. Kara, welcome to Off the Record Podcast. I'm so glad to have you as my guest. Hi, Nate. I'm very, very excited to be here with you today. Awesome. So let's start from the beginning. You grew up in South Bend. That happens to be my hometown as well, Michiana, as we like to call it. How would you describe growing up in South Bend? Well, it was pretty cool. I love South Bend. I went to the public schools there, which were very different in the 80s and 90s than they are now. But I had a wonderful experience there. My parents are in ministry, so we were very involved in community service growing up. But it's a pretty diverse place. People wouldn't assume that, I think, sometimes just because it's Indiana. But it's pretty diverse when it comes to socioeconomics and race and gender and different types of professions and careers. And it's a college town. So that's fun. Absolutely. You got Notre Dame. That's right. Which uh, we'll talk a little bit later. You spent quite a bit of time there. Which high school did you go to? I am a colonial. I went to Clay High School, Meso Elementary School, Clay Middle School, Clay High School. So we played you. I was a Penn Kingsman. So, oh, uh, you guys had that like college campus over there. Exactly. The, the elite school. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one. Sometimes I refer to it as the Carmel of the North That's because right. it's about the same size. That's right. It's exactly. huge. Exactly. So did you always know that you would end up back in South Bend? Or when you were growing up, did you think, oh, gosh, I'd love to get the heck out of here? I think a lot of my friends and myself thought, you know, I'd love to get the heck out of here. And I think I tried a couple times. I even wanted to go away to like an HBCU for college. And my parents were like, yeah, no, we're paying for school. So you're going to a state school. <laughs> it's much cheaper. But it worked out for me. I mean, I love being close to my family. My parents, my siblings are still there. And we're really tied to Notre Dame in a lot of ways because of my husband. He went there. He works there still. So I, I love it. It's great. Yeah, it's a great community. It is. So I understand that maybe you've done a little acting and performing <laughs> in your past. Tell us a little bit about uh, your experience in that and those, uh, I guess I should say, roles. I grew up in a family that is really big on music and the arts. My mom had a recording 
deal with a actually a record label here in town called Ty Scott recording with Dr. Leonard Scott and his team for many years with her brother doing gospel music. And so we are really like into the arts. I have a brother who's been nominated for a Grammy, a sister who travels all over the world doing music, Mickey Miller. She's incredible. And so I was on the acting side. I always did like the school plays. I did the high school musical. I was even in the law school musical when I was at Valparaiso for law school. But I love it. It's something that if I could do it on the side in some form or fashion, I probably would. I like a dream of mine would be to be in one of Dick Wolf's shows like Chicago PD or Chicago Fire. It'd be really cool. So this is off the record. So uh, I understand, I've dug up that maybe you tried out for American Idol, which isn't <laughs> acting, is it? It's singing, isn't it? It is. I sing too. Yeah. I tried yeah. out for American Idol when I was in college. It was actually a really cool experience. They were in Cleveland, Ohio. And my big brother, my oldest brother, Eddie, took me over there and tried out. I sang the Star Spangled Banner because I really? sing that a lot. I used to sing that all the time at events. I even got to sing it in front of like 10,000 people at Purdue for a men's basketball game one oh, time. Oh, that's so. awesome. Do you want to give us all just a little I, sample I of, of your singing? I no. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's a fun part of my life. I don't get to do much of anymore, but yeah, that was a cool that's experience. That's very cool. So I've read that you've described your decision to leave Notre Dame and go to work for Governor Holcomb as the state's first chief equity inclusion and opportunity officer as a leap of faith. What convinced you to leave Notre Dame and your hometown for a new job in Indianapolis? And did it take a lot of arm twisting to, to actually get there? Sometimes I call it a leap of faith and sometimes I call it a leap of insanity, but it just depends on the day. And today is a leap of faith day. It was really a cool opportunity that was presented to me. You know, when I was contacted about throwing my name into the hat, because they went through quite a few applicants for this role. When I was contacted, I was a little bit hesitant. I was six months pregnant with my son, Bryce, and I thought, I don't think I should be trying to take on anything new right now. But after I talked to Steve Cox, who used to be the executive director of the Department of Homeland Security for the state, he kind of convinced me, you know, let's just hear us out, see what this is. He and I got to do some work together when he was the fire chief of South Bend's fire department, working under Pete Buttigieg. And so I did. I went through the process. It was a very long process. But I think what really motivated me to take the role or to at least keep my name in the hat to be considered for the role was when I had a chance to sit down with Governor Holcomb, the 51st governor of the state of Indiana, who was incredible. And I got to hear his heart for the role and what he really was hoping to get out of this role. And when we started talking about our values and the way that we think about service to Hoosiers, we were really aligned. And so that was what it was in that moment, sitting down at the residence with him. And I thought, you know, if he offers me this, I think this is where I'm called to be for this season of my life. That's awesome. And I know from public service serving in a statewide role that it is an amazing experience just based on the opportunity to feel like you're having an impact statewide, meeting so many people. Has that been that kind of experience for you? Absolutely. I was just in Crown Point this week with some folks at a rotary up there and was in French Lick a couple weeks ago in Fort Wayne before that. And I get to meet so many people in so many different counties. And the way that folks have embraced this work and thinking about how we're uplifting quality of life for all Hoosiers has been really, really rewarding for me. And I really feel like every day I'm waking up to make a difference. And I have to be in that type of role. That means something to me. Absolutely. So I'm sure uh, you know better than most, given all of your experiences in this area, that there are many definitions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. A lot of people come at it in different ways. And your role as Indiana's Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer, how do you and how does your team define those terms? For us with diversity, 
And if you notice, diversity is not in the title because sometimes it can trigger people. And so the governor and his team are intentional about the title of this role. But for me, diversity is simply just the multiplicity of differences amongst us, right? And I think sometimes people get pigeonholed into thinking it's just about race and ethnicity or gender. But from our perspective, we're thinking about geographic location, socioeconomic status, familial status, a lot of different factors, religion, political beliefs, all of those things play into how people show up in the world and how they experience quality of life. And so that's what diversity is for us when we're thinking about it. Geographic location really matters in Indiana, right? When you think about some of the challenges in rural Indiana and some of the challenges in urban. And so that's a big piece of it. Opportunity, really thinking about what are we doing as a state to make sure that people have access to opportunities, right? We can't force them to do anything. People have to make really good decisions about their lives. But as a state, what barriers can we remove to make sure that the opportunities are accessible? That's important to us. And then the inclusion part is really just making sure that when people show up to Indiana, whether that's in private sector or public sector or that's in schools, that they feel like they're a part of the community, that they have something to contribute that is valued by the people around them. And creating that inclusive environment is really important to us. And I think we're doing a really good job. We have a lot of opportunities to do more, but I think we're heading in the right direction. I know you've been really busy, as you've described already, traveling the state and meeting with Hoosiers all over. You created a training program called Next Level Teams, which I found really interesting because it uh, focuses on civility, constructive disagreement, and compassionate listening, and then using the tools that are learned there to champion a culture of inclusion and respect. And I thought to myself, gosh, in the world we're living in today, we could use a lot more of those types of training opportunities and learning experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about that program and from your perspective, whether it's had some success so far? Absolutely. Baseline, when I came into the role, I knew that there were going to be some folks that had some trepidation about this type of work. And so I wanted to be very intentional about how we talked about creating equity, inclusion, and opportunity. And the interesting thing about this training is I don't think we mentioned the word diversity one time in the training because it's not about focusing on what the office is called or what the office does. It's about focusing on behaviors, not beliefs. I'm 40 years old. No one's going to change my beliefs at 40 years old. And I think it's silly when diversity practitioners go into a training and they think they're going to train people into believing something different. That's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. People have their own ways of thinking about life based on how they were raised. And so I wanted to create a session that invited that into the space. Like you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, but how can we come together in a way that is mutually beneficial to talk about those perspectives so that we can uplift one another and have a more diverse approach to problem solving, to thinking about how we're serving, right? And so that civility piece is just about being respectful with one another in those conversations, that compassionate listening is really hearing people beyond your own experience so that you can see the world as a bigger place than the little world that you may have grown up in. And then really using that to have constructive disagreements about, you know, maybe I see it this way, but why do I see it this way? Why do you see it that way? How can we take that information and really uplift our communities in different ways? And it's been wildly successful. And I can tell you that it's been wildly successful because we've trained over 9,000 people on this session over the last two and a half years. And I have a post-training survey that I do. And quite a few of the folks take that post-training survey. And of the folks that have taken it, 96% of them or so say everybody in the state should take this training. It's really, really great. It sounds like an amazing opportunity. Is it something that's still going on that people can participate if they want to? Uh, how do you find people? I'm just curious. It's because it's such an amazing opportunity. 
About of the 9,000, probably close to 60% of those are all within Indiana state government. So our agencies call us and ask us to come in and do the session for them. But the other 40% are chambers of commerce, rotaries, colleges and universities, businesses, banking industry, folks that have invited us in to do this session for them because they see what Governor Holcomb and the state, what we're doing, and they want to be a part of that. And they want to have more of that civility, compassionate listening, constructive disagreement. So we have quite a few folks that just call us and you can go to our website, in.gov forward slash equity. And there's a page on there that says next level teams, you click on it. And if you want us to come do the session for you, we are more than happy to get you on the calendar if we have time. Sounds really cool. I think we might take you up on that here at IBJ. It'd be fun to, to try it because I love what you're trying to do. Pretty awesome. Thanks. Your office also created the first uh, state's first equity data portal that gives Hoosiers the opportunity to track progress on equity in areas related to social services and education, health, public safety, and workforce. So far, how do you think we're doing as a state? And I guess is the portal uh, living up to what you'd hoped it would be so far? And then I'll, I'll follow up after that. Tell us about the portal and how it's working. So when Governor Holcomb created this office, he did a press conference in August of 2020. He talked about this work. And one of the things he wanted to do was set up this transparency portal to show Hoosiers and people across the world how Indiana was doing in those categories. And so our office worked with the Management Performance Hub, MPH, and a number of different agencies to put this data out. And I think it's operating the way it's supposed to. What it is, is it's a snapshot of how we're doing as a state in those areas. I will tell you, we have some opportunity, right? When you think about some of our rural communities and the challenges that they have because of their proximity or the lack of proximity to hospitals or certain types of food sources that they need, we can see that in the data. When you think about our Black and Latino populations with education and with income and workforce, you can see the gaps when you look at the data. When you think about the prison population and the disparate number of Black individuals that are incarcerated versus the amount of Black individuals that are in the population of the state. The data shows that. And so we wanted to have that so that when we started to create initiatives through this office, that it wasn't just something we were pulling out of the sky because it was the right thing to do. Of course, it's the right thing to do to some of us, but that doesn't really matter to everyone. We had to have the data drive the initiatives. And so that data helps us understand, like, with our reading and our iRead scores, okay, this Dolly Parton Imagination Library that just got approved through the state legislature this past session is going to be really critical to help our kids get to the levels they need to be. When we're talking about investing in public health, when you look at the data and you see the COVID numbers and the infant mortality rates, you see where the gaps are by county. Well, this public health investment is going to be important. So that will help us track how we're doing in, in years to come. But that was the foundation for why we wanted to really get this going to drive that the numbers towards those initiatives, right? Yeah, got to have the data to be able to make decisions. And that's awesome. So as you look at the data so far that's been collected and, and your own work, are there places in our state that you say are doing pretty well in terms of equity, inclusion, and opportunity? Or let me put it another way, are doing better than other parts? Or do you say, hey, the, you know, this part of the state has got a number of programs that seem to be working versus other places in the state? There's a few different areas, and I won't pick on anybody, but there's some places I've been to where you can see that there is a concerted effort between the public sector, the private sector, nonprofits, and faith community to really come together to drive their education and their business in a different way. 
in those areas of the state, you see population growth. That's always a really good sign. People are coming there to fill jobs. You see immigrants and refugees going to those areas and starting to get immersed into the communities. And so there's some pockets of the state that are doing that really well. And as I've sat down with those groups, I've asked them, what's your blueprint? What does this look like? So I can share this with other counties and municipalities when I go and visit with them. So I'm seeing that in pockets. The greater majority of the state, we have an opportunity to start to really think more innovatively about how we're attracting and retaining talent. And while a lot of the business growth that's happening through IEDC and a number of other areas is helping with that, I think one of the areas that I would challenge our state to be more intentional about is our K through 12 and not even just K through 12, but early learning before we even get there. Because right now there's some real opportunities to improve in those areas, especially for our Black, Latino and students with disabilities. Governor Holcomb has about 15 months left in his final term. What are you hoping to accomplish in the last year plus as Governor Holcomb uh, winds up his two terms as governor? As a citizen of the great state of Indiana, I have a lot of personal things I hope that he and his administration get done. But from a standpoint of my office, I think I'd really love to get this next level teams in front of more people before we leave. We're at about that 9,000 mark. I'm leaving here today to go over to Marion University to do a big session with their College of Medicine there. I would love to do that. I want to kind of give a, a bigger focus to getting more diverse contractors into Indiana state government whether that be getting them certified or getting them into the bidding process because we need more women-owned businesses, more minority, Latino, Black-owned businesses, veteran-owned businesses contracting with the state. And then I would say the last thing for me is really making sure that we've set up an infrastructure that no matter who comes into the state house once the administration turns over, that there will be some form of focus on inclusion, opportunity, and equity, whether that's an actual office. I mean, I came to work for Governor Holcomb, so I'm leaving, right? You know, you hear stories about people, oh, I'm going to get rid of her as soon as I become the governor. I won't be here for you to get rid of me, right? So let's just start there. <laughs> you got to you gotta have somebody to get rid of. I came to work for Governor Holcomb because I believe in his leadership. I will exit with the administration, but I hope that whoever comes in next, that we've left enough of a blueprint and an infrastructure for them to continue this work in some way. So those are probably the three things I'm really focused on right now. Those are great goals, and I hope you're very successful and that the legacy that you started continues. Let's take a quick break. This is Off the Record Podcast. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Off the Record Podcast. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, and I'm talking with Kara Herring, Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer for the state of Indiana. We're always interested as part of our Off the Record and learning about how the leaders of the Indiana 250 develop their leadership skills. And you've, you've had a chance to, as we've talked about, lead teams at Notre Dame and now in state government. As you look back at your career and your leadership development, Who are some of the people that have had some of the biggest impacts on you and how you've developed as a leader? Definitely, first and foremost, my parents. I mean, without a doubt, my mom and dad are incredible humans. They're not perfect humans, but they are incredible humans. They've been married for 50 years, and they've really just set an example for my siblings and myself to see that even when we have our own selfish wants and desires, we still are created for a bigger purpose, to serve people in some capacity. And so I watched them do that for years. I'd say another person who's really had a big impact on me was one of my vice presidents at Notre Dame. His, he's now retired. His name's Robert McQuaid. I worked for him for almost seven years. 
And he really helped me grow as a leader. I remember one time I was in a meeting with him and general counsel and some other folks. And this is when I was early in my leadership journey. And somebody said something and you could see it on my face. And he he pulled me aside after and he goes, you're going to have to learn how to have a poker face in these meetings. And you're going to have to learn how to respond to very triggering situations dispassionately or you aren't going to go very far <laughs> in corporate America. And he goes, of all the people that work for me, I think you can go really, really far, but you got to figure that out. And he started to really mentor me with that, put me into some executive coaching. And I think for him, I might not be where I am today, to be honest. So he's had a really big impact on me. I hope he hears that. He's somewhere golfing in Arizona right now, I'm sure, but maybe it'll get to him. In terms of what drives you as a leader, are there some core values that inform your leadership style and that played a part in your success? Absolutely. I would say I have four that I always talk about. Civility, you know, I've ingrained that into the training that I do. It's really important to me. But accountability is a big piece for me and accountability as as far as personal accountability, but also team accountability. When I have people that come work for me, it's okay if we make mistakes. It's okay if we take a risk and it doesn't work, but we need to be accountable to what the decisions that we make and, and how we're moving forward. Empathy is really huge for me, Nate. Like, I honestly, if people come and they work with me and they don't know how to display empathy and be able to put themselves in other people's shoes, you never have to have experienced what I've experienced. But the importance of you taking a moment to try to at least understand what I'm experiencing is important. And then that last one, which I think all of us, I hope all of us have it, is really integrity. Like, who I am in front of you on this camera is who I am behind the scenes. I never try to put on pretenses and act like something I'm not. This is just who I am. I've made mistakes. I've tweeted stupid things. I've said dumb things. That's just who I am. But I'm always going to make sure that I'm following the rule of the law, the rule of the company. I'm never going behind anybody's back to do something shady because that, to me, that means you lack integrity. And when you're a leader, that's a privilege and you have a lot of responsibility to uphold that in a, in a way that is full of integrity. So that's important to me. Those are great core values, civility, accountability, empathy, and integrity. Those are wonderful. Thank you for sharing those. So you've been a lifelong Hoosier, I know, and I know you could choose to live a lot of different places based on all the good work that you've done and your leadership experiences. What has made you decide to choose to remain in Indiana? And is there something distinctive about Indiana that's made you decide, hey, this is where I want to build my life and future? First and foremost, my faith really drives everything that I do. Everybody has their North Star, and my faith is my North Star. I pray about a lot of things in my life, and my faith has really kept me here. I feel like that God has really assigned me to my home state to be a light, to be a resource, to be a support, to serve people here in Indiana. But also, Indiana is full of really good people, right? Like I've traveled all over the place. I tend to be the one that tries to see the good in everyone and to really try to figure out how we can pull that out. And I've seen a lot of that across the state. And then finally, my family is here. And as long as my family is here, if my family were to move to like, I don't know, I love Ireland, right? Let's say my mom and my dad and my brothers and sister, they pack up and move to Ireland. I'm probably moving to Ireland. I'll just be <laughs> honest with you. That's, I love my family. I'm a family girl. I'm really close to all of them. But yeah, Indiana is a great place. I love being here. I love the people and the people love me. Absolutely. You know? they do. I know they do. I feel the love. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on this. I wanted to ask you about your passion around education. Uh, obviously, you've pursued personally education, so it must have been important to you and your family. And I know you mentioned K through 12 and opportunities for more and stronger education in our state. Tell us a little bit about your feelings about maybe what we could do more as a state. You mentioned the Dolly Parton program, so early childhood education. 
course, is really important, and we need some uh, do some more in that area for, in our state. I know, but uh, give us some thoughts about how you became interested and and why education you think is important to drive our state's future. It was a big focus for our family, right? Growing up, my mom got us all reading very early. We were before we could even really talk well. She was reading to us and making sure that we understood the importance of education and how it could really open doors for you. So it was just ingrained into our family, but. Frederick Douglass has a quote, and I'm not going to say it perfectly, but it is so much easier to train up strong, healthy children than to repair broken men. And I had an opportunity to stand in front of all 600 of Indiana's judges, thanks to the chief justice a few weeks ago. And we talked about procedural fairness in the courts. And we talked about all the different challenges of what people are dealing with by the time they get to them, right? And I was talking about if we can solve some of these things early on, it's going to be through education. We got to get our young people motivated, excited about learning early, because by the time they're in the second, third grade, if you haven't connected with them and shown them the importance of education and how it can change their lives, you've probably lost quite a few of them, especially boys and especially black and Latino boys. So the research shows that. And so when you talk about school to prison pipeline, you talk about quality of life, people being able to afford good health care, healthy food options. It starts with them understanding the importance of education and how that can open doors for them. So that's something that's critically important to me. I'm never going to run for office. Well, I shouldn't say never. I have no desire to run for office. But I tell people all the time, if I had the opportunity to serve in that way, that would be a huge focus for me is early learning and K through 12 education. Because if we can get those healthy babies turned into healthy young adults, they turn into healthy big adults and they make really healthy, positive decisions. And it makes our state better. It makes our economy better. And it makes our, our country better. So our listeners heard it here first. Kara Herring <laughs> is running for office. Yeah, and right. we're going to find the right office to support you on. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you've got great ideas well, and are making thanks, an impact. Mate. So uh, we'll follow up on that for well, <laughs> we'll see. So Kara, we've made it to off the record speed round. Yay. Where you give me quick answers to a series of questions. Are you ready? I hate these things because I never have favorites. I'm always like, I have five things that I love. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Favor- throw it at me. Okay. Favorite movie. So favorite movie of all time probably would be Imitation of Life, 1959, Lana Turner, Juanita Moore. It's an old movie. Most people would have never heard of it. Check it out. It's incredible. Really great movie. Favorite place to vacation? Just on the number of times I go there in a year, probably Tennessee. I love being in the Smoky Mountains. I'll go to Gatlinburg or I'll go to Franklin or Nashville. So probably Tennessee. Favorite musical artist? Oh, favorite singular artist, Dolly Parton. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Yes, I'll give we you got that. it. We got it. But favorite group, <laughs> Coldplay. Definitely. I saw them live. Best show I've ever been to in my life. You and I both are fans of Coldplay. I've also seen them live and uh, I love their music. Got to see them again live. Fantastic. What is the first thing you do in the morning? So if I'm in South Bend, the first thing I do is I peel my three-year-old off of me because he's usually like on top of me like a blanket. And then I read my scripture. But if I'm in Carmel, which is where my apartment is, I check my phone to make sure none of my children or my husband have texted me. And then I read my scriptures. Title of the last book you read. Oh, that's easy. I just finished Condoleezza Rice's memoir. I think it's called Memoir of My Extraordinary Ordinary Family and Me. It's really good. I love her. She's someone I look up to deeply. I love that woman. I do too. And I'm going to get that book because I haven't read it yet. So good. And if you know her, I want you to set it up for me to meet her. I've never met her before. I don't know her, but I know people who know her. Let's make it happen, Nate. Come on. And you do too. And we'll we'll work on that together. (laughs) What food can you not live without? Tacos. There's no way I have to have tacos in my life. Best advice you ever received? 
this too shall pass. Like when really bad things happen and you get stressed out and it feels like it's the end of the world, just don't make a permanent decision based on temporary emotions because this too shall pass. That was one of my mom's favorite. My and, dad too. And, and so, uh, so I got, I heard that one a lot too. Love it. Advice for a young person who wants to become a leader. Work on your emotional intelligence. It's one of the most important things. I mean, if you don't know how to read the room, if you don't know how people are going to read you, you're not going to survive in leadership. Work on your emotional intelligence. I'm going to go off script and ask a follow-up because that's an interesting answer. How do you work on emotional intelligence? In some ways, I think you either are born with some know, of that or I you're know. not. But can you work on, on emotional intelligence? I think you can. If you have really good mentors who know how to do it well and those people work with you or if you go through a really great executive coaching program. But it, some people are just born with it, right? And we know some of those people who they are. We know them. But some folks have to work a little bit harder. But it's really important. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? LeBron James, baby. <laughs> I love LeBron. <laughs> And here's a good one. Who do you cheer for when Notre Dame plays Purdue? Obviously Purdue, unless <laughs> it is Notre Dame women's basketball, because my dear friends, Neil Ivy and Carol Owens, I've been friends with them for many years, are the coaches. And so then it's go Irish all day. Other than that, it's the Boilermakers, baby. <laughs> awesome. Kara, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me on the Indiana 250 podcast. And thank you for all you're doing for our great state. Thank you, Nate. This is awesome. Thanks to Kara Herring, Indiana's Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Opportunity Officer for our conversation today. To learn more about other leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list, go to indiana250.com and look for a page two feature each week in the IBJ. We'll be back with the new Indiana 250 off-the-record conversation soon. 